We'll come now to the time where we look into God's Word. And if, uh, if you have your bulletins on the inside back cover of your bulletin, you'll see there's a place you can take notes and also some verses from Jeremiah that we're going to look at in, in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to set the stage for why we're looking at these verses in particular. Um, friends, we live in a day of tolerance, don't we? Um, our culture today is striving to make room for everyone to have an opinion, right? Our culture is striving with all of its might to make sure that everyone's opinion is valid unless, unless what you believe offends someone else, right? Everyone can have an opinion. Everybody needs to have an opinion. We need to make room for everyone as long as your opinion doesn't offend anyone else. And this presents to us a challenge. And not just to us, but to anyone. If you believe that people that you know and love are living in ways that are destructive to themselves and to others, how do you do it? How do you share who you are, what you believe, with someone who's going to be offended in our day and age where you're not supposed to offend anyone? I mean, here, really, this is the question that we face. Right? How can you be open about who you are and what you believe when you know that others will disagree with you? Have you thought about the answer to this question? Have you tried to answer this question? If you're like me, I've tried 25 different ways to live out the answer to this question. Some of those ways work. Some of those ways get me into big trouble. Some of those ways are somewhere in between. But the way that we answer this question has a huge impact on how we relate to others. And more importantly, it has a huge impact on the way that others respond to who we are and what we think. Okay, And this is a huge question that Christians and the church have been trying to answer. Right? This, this question guides our witness. It teaches us how to relate to the city and to its people around us. We know that we live in a pluralistic society with all kinds of opinions and religions and philosophies. And so many people struggle with this question. How can I be open about who I am and what I believe when I know that other people will disagree with me? And this question isn't just for Christians. It's not just for Christians. Um, Everyone struggles when they love someone who's making bad decisions and they want to help them to see that. And so what we're going to look at today is going to apply to everyone, not just to Christians. And the fourth value of our church speaks to this question. Okay, we've been in a series called We Are, where we're defining the, and we're laying the foundations for both a great church and a great city. We've looked at our name, we've looked at our vision and our mission, and now we're going through our values. And our values are the tools that we use to experience renewal personally, and then to help others to be renewed and bring that renewal to the city. And so these are the values that we've seen already. Um, These are Harbor Church's values. First, um, we're gospel-centered, which means we have good news. Um, We're growing in community, which means we support each other. We're not alone in our efforts to grow, in our efforts to know God. Third, we're living on mission. Uh, We share the good news that we've experienced with others. Well, our fourth value speaks specifically to how we relate to people outside the church. And this fourth value is that we are city positive. Okay, we are city positive. 
Let me tell you what city positive means. City positive means some things that we're not. Okay? City positive means that we are not against the city. We are not above the city. We are not assimilated to the city. Nor are we apart from the city. But city positive means that we are for San Diego and its people. That's what it means to be city positive. We are for San Diego and its people. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to be for San Diego and its people? We get a very clear description of what this means when we look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And so if you look then, you can turn to Jeremiah 29 in your Bible, um, or you can look in the bulletin there and see it. We're going to read here verses 7 and 11. Friends, this is the Word of God written to His people. God says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God's word. And friends, this is what it means to be city positive. And I want you to know where God's people were. I want to get just a little bit of the background and the context to what Jeremiah was writing to, the day and the age he was writing, and the people he was writing to. Um, because you need to be able to read this passage knowing that, because it'll help you to apply what God says here to your life and your attitude today. So at this time, God's people were living in Babylon. Okay, Babylon was far away from the promised land. Okay, Israel had been conquered. God's people had been conquered, they'd been enslaved, and they'd been exiled. They'd been carried off captive oftentimes with rings in their noses, strung on chains. And their captors led them out of the promised land, away from God, away from his presence, away from his blessings. And they were stuck in Babylon. And Babylon was a land of paganism, corruption, and sin. And that's the place where God says what he says in Jeremiah 29. God tells them to be city positive. Let me read it again for you. God says to his people living in Babylon, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so God is telling his people, God says, enter into the life of the city and seek to renew it. Seek its welfare. Right? The word welfare shows up three times in this passage, four times in this passage. Right? Seek the welfare of the city. In its welfare, you'll find your welfare. I have plans for you for welfare and not for evil. Right? This word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. It's the Hebrew word for, it's shalom, and it means peace. It's translated peace, but it's not just any peace. It is comprehensive and robust flourishing. Okay, Tim Keller has taught on this ad nauseum. If you hear any two sermons by Tim Keller, he'll quote this passage. 
and talk about how it applies to life and, and the gospel today. But, and he says that this kind of flourishing, it, it's a fourfold peace. He says that this flourishing, this welfare, this peace that God desires for his people to have and for the city to have, it means peace with God. It means having a relationship with God where you know where you stand, where you know that you are accepted by Him, loved by Him, and in a relationship with Him. It means peace with other people. Which means that with your relationships in your family, there's peace. Not just like a ceasefire, but I mean real deep and abiding love for each other. Understanding and care and concern, right? Not just with family, but with friends and colleagues and co-workers. That's the peace that's wrapped up in this word shalom. Right? It's peace with creation. Right? It's good stewardship of the, of the earth and its resources. Right? It's being at peace with what God has made and knowing how to use it wisely. And then it's peace with yourself, right? So that you get to a place where you actually love yourself. Um, you actually can see that God is at work in you, right? That God, that, that, that you're not all bad, right? That God has put his treasure into you, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of his grace, his own spirit he has put in you. You're made in God's image. And in his image, there are things about you that God celebrates, and so this peace, this welfare that this passage is describing, it's, it's this robust flourishing in all of life. And God says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to enter into the life of this place that is full of paganism and corruption and sin. I want you to go into this place with these people who just conquered you, who just destroyed your land and your temple, who killed your, your warriors and your armies, um, have stolen your... I want you to enter in. I want you to seek the welfare of that city. So this is what God is calling to in the midst of a culture where there is so much that his people will not agree with, God tells them to seek the welfare of the city. In the midst of a culture where there is so much that God doesn't agree with, God tells them to seek its welfare and to be city positive. He's saying, seek its welfare before the city and its people. So how do we do this? What does it mean to do this for us today? Well, I think it means that we celebrate what is good and we renew what's broken. We celebrate what's new and we renew what's bad. Celebrate the good, renew the bad. It's really that simple. That when we look at the world, when we look at the culture around us, when we look at the city that we live in, when we look at our neighbors and our neighborhoods, when we look at our workplaces, the environments where we work, we need to seek its welfare. We need to celebrate the good and renew the bad. This is not the approach that the church has often taken with the culture or the city or even people that don't believe in Jesus. 
so often, so often the church has been against the city. Right? The church digs its heels in and gets defensive. It criticizes. It points out everything that's wrong with the city and with people. And anytime something good happens, there are people, there are churches, there are forms of Christianity that will say, yeah, but. Yeah, but they're not good enough. Yeah, but this isn't good enough. Yeah, but, and, and frankly, this is my own personal testimony. For years of my life, I was convinced that um, I couldn't share the good news with people. I couldn't celebrate anything about a non-Christian or celebrate anything that was outside of the church unless the person I was talking with was convinced that they were sinful and deserved to go to hell. I was against the city. I was against people. When we have this posture, when we are against the city, there is no love. We have no love. We come across like the like the angry father who is never satisfied. I know some of us have those fathers. No matter what you do, they always can find the thing that needs to be improved. No matter, you get a 99 on a test, and oh, what happened with that one? It doesn't take a lot of effort to be critical. Does it? It's kind of easy, right? To play armchair, armchair whatever. Armchair politician, armchair boss, armchair friend, armchair neighbor. It's so easy for us. It doesn't take any effort at all for us to criticize. But what does it look like to love? What does it look like to try to find what is good and to celebrate that? That's what it means to be for. So often the church has acted like it's above the city. Right above the city... I mean, what this breeds, this breeds arrogance. Or we think we're better than other people. We think we're better than non-Christians. We think that the city is down here and we are up here. This is the kind of arrogance that causes the church to be further and further marginalized. Because no one wants to be around that kind of person. Whether they're Christian or not. That kind of arrogance where someone acts like they're above doesn't help anybody. Instead, being for means, yes, I've been blessed by Jesus, but I've been blessed and I'm changed and I'm different and I'm renewed because of his grace. It was nothing that I did. I was, we are all as lost as could be without God in the world. But Jesus came, not because we were lovely, but because Jesus is loving. And that love caused Jesus to not stay above the city, but to come down into the city and lift it up. So we're not above the city. Being for the city means we dig in and we lift it up. We seek to renew what's bad. And then assimilate it to the city. This is where the church says, hey, we have to build relationships with people. We've got to become just like them so that they'll know that we're just like them and we can have relationships and friendships. And, um, and what can happen there, the danger of that is that we become assimilated or we become no different and we actually lose the gospel. 
We lose any sort of salt, Jesus describes in Matthew 5. Right, where the preserving nature or the specialness or the, the word of God gets lost. And so instead of being assimilated to the city, being for the city means that we show up and we're involved, um, but we have something that we need to share. Right, being gospel-centered and living on mission help us to not be assimilated to the city. And then sometimes churches, people, Christians um, live apart from the city. And this is the more sort of circle the wagons and build giant walls, right, to protect ourselves, right? We need to stay pure from the corruption of the culture, from the corruption of the city and the bad stuff that's out there. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our children. Um, And so churches build huge walls. And the problem with that is that they sometimes might stay pure in some areas, but then there's no engagement. There's no relationship. And all that happens are sort of gospel grenades that get thrown over the walls of the church to the culture. Instead, for us, being for San Diego and its people, instead, what being for the city means is it means, it means this, it means faithful presence. This is what James Hunter calls it in his book, um, was it called to transform the world, to change the world? My confusion. James Hunter wrote a book um, to change the world. Thank you. It's called to change the world, and he actually talks about all these different approaches of the church to culture. And his conclusion is that what we need to be as people is that we need to be the faithful presence of Jesus in the world. And so this is what it means to be city positive. It means that we are being for the city means that we become the faithful presence of Jesus. Um, And the word that we're going to begin to use starting next week as Advent begins is incarnation. Jesus himself is the example to us of faithful presence. The incarnation is God not against the city but for the city. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? This is God not above the city, but descending from heaven and into the city. Right? This isn't God assimilated to the city, but this is Jesus coming with both love and a challenging word. Coming both with love and grace and service and a call to turn your life toward him and follow him. Or this isn't Jesus apart from the city, but this is Jesus. The incarnation is Jesus entering in and, in a sense, not keeping pure from the stain and the sins of the world, but actually taking on the sins of the world to himself on the cross. And so Jesus, in his incarnation, he is the model for us. And he's not just the model, but he's the Savior. The reason that every single one of us are here in this church is because of Jesus' faithful presence on earth. It's because Jesus was for us. That he came to live and to love. He came to see us as we are, and he came to redeem us. So in your bulletin, you'll see 
um, under the announcement section at the bottom is the definition of what it means to be city positive. Right here in your bulletin. That God loves people and cities. So we celebrate and serve our city, seeking its renewal spiritually, socially, and culturally. As people are renewed to follow and worship Jesus, the city is renewed spiritually. As people love and honor their neighbors at work, at home, and in their neighborhood, the city is renewed socially. And as people embrace God's purposes for work, art, and community, the city is renewed culturally. We believe Jesus loves what is right with our city, and so do we. We believe that Jesus is at work to heal what is wrong with our city, and so are we. And so what this means, this means that we recognize that people are made in God's image. And yes, sin has marred the image of God. There are ways that all of us do not image God, that all of us don't look like God, that all of us don't act like God, think like God, treat other people the way God does. And yet, there is still the image of God in us. Um, I've heard someone describe it as an oil painting where um, it's still wet and someone takes a hand and swipes it across the painting. You can still see the painting, you can still see some of what it is, but it's been disfigured. Right? The image of God is still in us. It's still in the people that we live with and work with and are in community with. And we want to be able to see that image of God in people so that we can celebrate it. Because when we do this, when we celebrate God's image in others, when we catch them doing things that are right, and we tell them, hey, I really appreciate this about you, that communicates to them an attitude of being for them. And I love it in Romans two chapter uh, in Romans chapter two verse four, Paul says, you know, "Don't you know that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance?" This idea of being for people it just means being kind to them. I mean, in some ways, I think it's parallel the way that you treat other people if you are for them, if you look for what's good in them and see it and celebrate it, if you reflect it back to them in encouraging words, you show that you're for them. You show your kindness. To them. And I think it's like the miracles of Jesus. Jesus came to do miracles, and there were, with many of his miracles, there was an indiscriminate extravagance of the miracles of Jesus, where he would feed 5,000 men along with, their, along with women and children, right? Where he provided wine, 180 gallons of wine at a wedding, right? There's an indiscriminate extravagance to the miracles of Jesus, because he wanted people to know that God, there is good news with God, that God is inviting everyone into his presence to know him and to love him and to be loved by him. Now, I can't do those miracles. I can't. I can't do those miracles. I don't know that, I haven't heard that any of you can. Um, but the words that you use can have the effect of sharing God's love and showing God's love and kindness to others. Every day, um, every day, God shows that he is for the world. Every day. Jesus says that in Matthew 5. He says, you should not just love your friends, but you should love your enemies. Why? So that you can be like your Father who's in heaven. What he does is he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. 
He loves people, even his enemies. And he does good things to them so that they would see his kindness. Because it's his kindness that makes people want to come to him. Friends, we can do that with the words that we use. We can do that in the way that we treat other people. Look to see what is good and what people say and do. Celebrate that with them. As I have personally shifted in my own history, um, I used to lead with, hey, where, where do we disagree? Let's talk about that. Let me argue about, let me argue with you until you realize that you're a sinner lost going to hell before I share the good news with you. Um, now I ask myself, what is God doing in this person's life? Where can I see the presence of God in this person's life? And how can I encourage them? That even if they don't agree with me, and I, I tell you, like, all the time I say this. I say, you know, I don't know what you believe spiritually, but I just want you to know that what you think about this is how Jesus thinks about this. And I think it's great the way that you do this because, man, G- you, in some ways you're like Jesus. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but like, I'm not pushing what I believe on you, but I just want you to know that there are things that you're doing that reflect the God that I believe. What happens is that gives people a very different view because most people think God is an angry father who's never satisfied. But through your words, through your faithful presence, through your being for people and for the city, you can show them God's kindness, which can lead them to repentance. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being for us. Thank you for coming into our midst, for not just shouting salvation from above, but from coming, for coming down. Thank you for living 30 years in relative obscurity, for understanding what it's like to be us, for getting a taste of the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us with your kindness and leading us to yourself. Help us to be able to see what is good in the culture, what is good in the city, what is good in people, so that we can celebrate it. And with the things that are bad, Jesus, with the things that we disagree with, that you disagree with, help us to come alongside those issues, to speak against them in a way that would demonstrate that we are also for renewal, and that we're committed to being part of the solution, not just the bullhorn that declares the problem. Jesus, we do this so that you would become known, so that you would become famous, so that you would, uh, so that people would know who you really are in your love and your grace. Be with us as we seek to do that this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.